We have one of the nicest coming out of Las Vegas. Put Las Vegas on the map. He's got some classic albums, The Golden Age, Smoke Out Conversations. We got some classics right here with the one and only, one of the nicest. Dizzy Wright. Dizzy Wright, how's it going tonight, man? Welcome to the show, Sports Hip Hop with DJ Mad Max. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, family. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Train Your Mind and World Peace. Those are two of my favorites from yours. Right on, right on. Tough. Those songs, those songs, those songs are the ones that go for my discography as a fan going back to when I was younger. Do you, do you ever get tired when you're on tour of playing the, the cliche songs that people know you for, such as, you know, the ones that we can go back to smoke out conversations that people know you for, like Solo Dolo, Can't Trust Them? Yeah, you asked me, do I what? Do you ever get tired of performing those? cliche songs that people know you for? Because I feel as though you are you were never in it for the hit song. You always wanted to be in it for just making the records and longevity and being consistent. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Nah, it don't, it don't really... I guess sometimes I would be lying if I said that sometimes it didn't get like weird sometimes, you know, over the years. <clears throat> but it's really just like over the years, like finding the balance of like the, the records that people really enjoy the records that I really want to perform. And then like the records that I, I know just have to be performed. So it's like finding the balance, the right balance. And um, usually I do really well with like mixing the old with the new, but some of those older songs that people like really like appreciate, um, I don't know, I always get this feeling over me on stage um, where I feel like I can feel the energy of like, how excited they are for a record that maybe resonated with them at a time where they really needed that record. Um, and I love to still be able to give people that feeling because it, it still excites me, you know? It was an exciting time for you. You were just coming out on the internet scene and that's when you learned when in the internet era that you could reach people all the way in New York and around the world. Yeah, absolutely. An amazing time. I want to get to your early stories of being born in Flip, Michigan, I heard about the unfortunate situation that happened with your father because he was in jail for 20 years due to a snitch and we can't have snitches out there. They're just bad for people and, and bad for people. You know, it just, it, they just mess up so many families and you hear so many stories about snitches. 100%. And, and then you moved to Las Vegas. How was that transition of being born in Flint, Michigan and then having to make the move to Vegas? Um, I think the transition was cool. Um, you know, I think, Vegas was, I don't know, I, I, to be honest, like, I was so young. Um, I just feel like I just went along with whatever was happening at the time. Whatever my mama was trying to do, I just went along with it. Um, the transition was, the transition to Vegas, um, I really don't remember. But I do remember there was almost a transition back to Flint when I was in the eighth grade. And I had came back to Flint for, I mean, a month and it didn't work out because that transition was so different from Vegas. So the transition from trying to be anywhere besides Vegas was always the more difficult side of things to me. Being in Vegas was always what felt natural. I read online when doing my research about you is that you were homeless after the seventh grade with you and your family. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. And then moving into uh -huh, Atlanta uh -huh. and getting to California and then eventually going back to Vegas. 
Yes, yes. So uh, moms was trying to figure it out. You know, moms was trying to figure it out. And um, she has a real, real independent soul, a real I'm going to get it done. Men I'm going to get it done mentality, you know, and she just fell short. Uh, with her falling short, we ended up in a shelter home for a little while. Uh, I'll be honest with you. It was, uh, for me, it was just humbling, you know, because I mean, I was staying with, with a bunch of kids that, that didn't have anything. You know, we were just a bunch of kids that were like, that didn't have anything. It was just uh, it was a weird fucking time, you know? And uh, I remember we spent Christmas in the uh, shelter home. And you know, with those, with those shelter homes, man, they don't, some, sometimes they're just doing the best that they can with donations and things like that. So there was a time where like, there was a Santa Claus that came to the shelter and was giving out a, uh, presence and um they didn't have enough presence me and my brothers end up missing out and those little moments really shift your appreciation for things as you get older uh my appreciation for for everything in life really changed after we left the shelter home i was just way more appreciative than other kids and um i tried to like um take that with me into the music industry you know your mother did some tour managing for Bone Thugs and Harmony and they became close family. I know there's just rumor online that they say that Lazy Bone's your uncle, but he isn't. He he became close family to you once you got to know him. Did you ever have any important conversations with him in which he gave you some advice early on in your career? Um you know, not really. Um Lay was more, Lay was more like, yo, just keep writing. You know, I think that was like the most advice, like as far as music industry wise, that I got for him, from him at the time. My mom was making, my mom would have gotten all the advice from my uncle Lay about us and the music industry because <clears throat> At the time, I didn't have my hands in it at all. My mom was my manager for me and my brothers. And um, she was kind of like working everything herself, you know? With Lay, it was more just having a male figure that would like check and see if I was cool, you know, tell me to take care of my mom, to make sure I look out for her. And I guess more life advice on how to just be a better big brother and the best big brother I could be and to look out for my family and shit like that. But as far as music shit goes, um, when uncle, when my uncle Lay was kind of like over, like helping my mom out, I guess, in a sense, um, I didn't know if I wanted to be a rapper. You know, I wanted to be Allen Iverson. You wanted you know to be a saying? ball player. Yeah. I wanted to be a ball player and, you know, music was like the secondhand thing that I was just kind of doing because my mom really fucked with it. And, and I thought it could possibly make us some bread and anything to help the family make money. I was with it, you know, but <laughs> yeah, I wasn't too, I wasn't taking music too serious, you know, at the time. 
your mother was offering to write your rhymes along with the group The Future when you were younger. No, she wasn't offering. She was doing it. She was doing it. She's doing that shit. Yeah, that's how I got into the music industry. I didn't know shit about the music industry or how it worked or what went into songs or none of that shit. My mom knew all that stuff, you know? And like, we started off as youth reporters. JFK. You know, JFK, just for kids, doing exactly not, you know, there was, there was no um, cell phones with cameras at the time. But, you know, we were going to different little events and like talking to different artists and trying to get, you know, a perspective from them that we could put into a newsletter for kids, asking questions that maybe the kids wanted to know. I always thought my mom had a brilliant mind and, and brilliant ideas, you know. It's just unfortunate that we weren't able to turn that into like a real money play, you know. But uh, she had brilliant ideas. Absolutely. And, and she raised a champion for sure. Some of your most worthy interviews that you've mentioned in the past, Nelly and the St. Lunatics, Tyrese is your favorite interview. And you were able to even interview Nate Dogg before he died. Do you remember that conversation that you had with Nate Dogg? Um, I remember the conversation. I don't remember the questions, but I do remember the conversation because uh, my mom made uh, some of those moments extremely memorable um, because she was the mama that was like, I need you to do this interview with my kids. See, like, you know, we'd be like, oh, shit. She would turn up, you know, like, um, but yeah, I do remember sitting down with Nate Dog. Um, I was a fan of Nate Dog as as far as like what I knew of Nate Dog as a kid. I became more of a fan of him as I got older. But you know, at that time, if if I'm being completely honest with you, at that time, I don't think I I realized how cool that shit was, you know? Um, I, I had a very, um, I'll say like, I was conflicted um, meeting famous people and interviewing famous people and then going back to a struggling lifestyle. And some of the things that my mom was trying to do, um, she was jumping through hoops to try to get us to talk to some of these people. And I didn't understand it. You know, I didn't really, I didn't really get what, how it was going to financially help us, you know? I didn't see the big picture in the shit at all. So, you know, I was more hard-headed. Like, it was a little more, I was a little more, I pushed back on a lot, you know what I'm saying? Um, just because, you know, I didn't like my friends coming over and seeing all these famous people and then, like, like going out and trying to like paint me out to be this person that was like with all these famous people, you know, when my life, my regular life sucked, you know? So, and I only say it sucked because it's like we would jump through hoops to go meet famous people. But if I wanted to play on a traveling basketball team, I could, we couldn't afford it, you know? So th those little things in my, in my kid mind just did not make fucking sense to me, you know? Is that where it comes in? Because I've read online that this is one of the reasons you cited why you didn't want to really deal with majors in the industry. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, my mom gave me a major label experience as a child. And I didn't even know it. But she was teaching me the music industry as it was. You know what I'm saying? And... Um, 
in 2000, like the year 2000, the music industry was all based around labels and shit like that. There was no social media. So like, it was all organic, all you had to get out there, you had to take the chance, you had to take the risk, you know, but you had to have money for these things. It wasn't like the internet right now where you could just jump online and you could just like rap over people's shit and like, and get like build a following online. We had no idea what our following looked like, you know? And I think that that was always, it was always tough for me because I couldn't see um, the fruits of our labor, you know what I'm saying? So it made it made it tough. Like, and going through that experience made me like, ah, oh, yeah, nah, hell nah. I don't want to be a part of part of this fucking industry. This shit is fucking. I knew it was ruthless and weird as a child. Like, even the things that my mom wanted us to do and say, and the things like we we couldn't do or say, didn't make sense to me. I'm like, if we live this way, why can't we talk about it? In my mom's mind, it was like, nobody wants to hear a kid talking about that kind of shit. Cause you're a kid, you don't know shit. Like you don't, you don't really, you ain't lived enough to really be trying to talk about this type of shit. At the time, I didn't understand that shit at all. I'm like, what, I'm like, what the fuck you mean? I'm living this shit. Like, I'm out here, what you mean? I want to talk about the shit I'm saying. Like my mom was not hearing that Jack. Like she was like, nah, fuck that. But, um, it made me it made me weird about the industry. Once I started doing music on my own, I didn't know where I wanted to take it at all. I just knew where I didn't want to take it. You know, and I thought that I thought that made me I thought that separated me from a lot of artists, you know what I'm saying, that was trying to find their place in the music industry. Um, I wanted to find my place, not knowing that I had a I had a place by having that kind of stance, you know? And when I realized that there was an independent world, you know, um, my mind just expanded, you know? I didn't grow up, my, my father wasn't around. Uh, I didn't have a male figure like that in my life. So I didn't have anybody really teaching me about like, um, different shit you know what I'm saying different ways to look at shit all I had was like my mom's view one view and that's the view that I kind of that kind of stuck with me until I realized that there was different ways to look at this shit or, or possibly like do this shit you know and that's what really kicked me in the gear to do shit independent I've heard about your relationship with your mother that it was kind of rocky at times because it was more of an artist and manager relationship yeah. Yeah, my mom. I mean, kind of like piggybacking off of what I just said a little bit, like, um, you know, in the process of like my mom teaching us the music industry mm -hmm. and, and preparing us, you know what I'm saying? Me pushing back. It, it, it like lingered in life, you know? Like it became like the life problems that I was bringing or I was like messing up for my brothers or my friend Dujon at the time. Like I was just kinda, my mom really just wanted us to be positive, like on some positive shit. And I just thought that shit was super corny, if I'm being completely honest with you. 
uh, I thought it was I thought it was corny to talk about positive shit and not talk about the real shit or why you talking about positive shit. I thought that shit was corny and I ain't want no parts of that shit. And she was like, nigga, this the way it gotta be. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit, I don't wanna do this shit. <laughs> but um, we butt heads a lot over that, you know? And, and it's like, once I started learning about hip hop and I started learning about the music industry, I wanted to pin my own shit. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to have my own voice. And I, my mom's was, <laughs> she was, she like, you want to do what? <laughs> In her mind, I felt like it was like, I was like kicking her out the group. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, what you like, man, you got to do some manager shit. You know what I'm saying? So we bump heads a lot about that. I could look back and laugh on that shit because that was, those were my big problems back in the day. I know life is a lot bigger than the small problems that we go through, you know? But at the time that problem just felt really big in my mind. And I felt like, yo, I'd rather you just be a mom than be trying to be a manager because it's like fucking up my relationship and the things that I want to talk to you about and shit like that, you know? So it was like a, uh, it was like a era where it felt like, you know, we had to relearn each other, you know, me and my moms. So, um, but I think that teaches you a lot about life when you can step back and evaluate what's going on. And ever since I was young, I've always been able to like, you know, thoroughly speak my emotions. Like this is how I feel, you know, this is how you making me feel, right? So uh, I eventually stopped doing music. She was just like, all right, it is what it is, you know? But because it wasn't music, it just felt like the passion was different, you know? The show up was a little different. And when you young, you looking at that shit like, if this was music, your ass be all for it. You know what I mean? Like, so even my mom had some learning to do. You know, we're having like a young son who was going through things and like she was trying to push something on me. Now, the irony of this shit is I grew up to be a fucking positive rapper. Right? Like positive in a sense of like, it's like the way I look at life, you know? And back then, you know, I didn't realize my mom was really trying to get me to look at life differently, you know, and paint the picture differently. And that's how motherfuckers got dizzy right. You know what I'm saying? All that shit going to do that. I think from being humbled in your early beginnings too leads to the the shot on your latest single with 24 hours as you're, you take aim at arrogance. You kind of throw a dart of arrogance on your newest single. You're not about that. And, and you're not, you've always been humbled throughout your career. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I did, did though. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you know, like, just trying to paint different pictures for people to look at things differently or maybe feel like, damn, I feel like that too. Like, you know, just as these minds, as the mind develops and goes through different phases, you know, I try to, you know, put that out there for the developing mind. Cause I know I'm not the only one, 
You know what I'm saying? So no. if you can relate to it, you can, or you can grow into it, you know? So, yeah. From that whole interview process in which you were in the youth, in the media business right there, I was doing all the interviews when you were younger, you had the, the chance to meet Kobe, not interview, but meet him. And I'm sure that's something that you hold close to you now that he's passed on. Yeah, I was a Kobe Bryant hater too, man. Really? Um, until, until his last season. Yeah, you know, I, I was an Allen Iverson fan. You know, the Lakers beat the 76ers in 2001. My little, my little mind never let that go. I, I blame Kobe and Shaq couldn't stand them too, you know? <laughs> and then I realized, you know, as, as it was his last year, I'm a, oh, I'm, a, I'm a grown man with kids now. And I realized that I was just, I, I just hated on him because he was so great. He was so good, you know what I'm saying? And his last year, I was able to really enjoy Kobe Bryant, the basketball player, and not like the hater that I was being for 19 years, I felt like, you know what I'm saying? So uh, I'm glad, like, it was his letter that he wrote to basketball, you know, as a basketball player, as a basketball fan, anybody who read that letter know exactly what he was trying to dish out. And I felt every single word and I was able to really enjoy Kobe for his last year and going into his retirement. So, um, the photo hit different for me when he passed away and his death really did hit different for me too, because I was really in my Kobe Bryant enjoyment stage. And, you know, I have a daughter. So seeing him with his daughter and how he was teaching her, teaching her the game and showing her the game, it's the same thing I'm doing with my daughter. You know what I'm saying? Um, they'll be musically inclined, but they'll also be athletic too, you know, cause I think sports, and teams teach you good sportsmanship and show you how to be a good team player. So Kobe was a, like inspiring for me on the, on the dad level more in the retirement than just like Kobe Bryant, the basketball player, you know, cause I'm, I'm, I have a 10 year old, you know? So yeah, the, the photo hit Kobe. different. In a nutshell, the photo hit a little different. Future WNBA star. For your daughter you see her man we'll see man we'll see like you know maybe they i think sometimes because i you know i'm with them all the time they have a musical but um both my like i have, I have three now but my my 10 year old and my seven year old zayden and ziggy they both have a music bug as well so who knows what will really hit for them and what they will really strive for, you know, but sports will always be um, a key component to like helping their mentality grow. You know what I'm saying? Cause it, it puts them in a position where it's not all about them. You know, it's gotta be about the team. And I think, I think that type of mentality can help you in life. Team flashy was the next group experience that you had. Then you eventually moved on from there. And that's when I believe it was with R3D. You saw his home studio, and that's when you realized that I can make music at home because you're so used to thinking about going to these big studio places to make your music. Yeah, it was all about, you know, with my mom, it was all about them. Like I said, it was that early music industry experience. And she was she was teaching us what she knew, you know, and the way that she knew it. 
And um, to me, this is like, when my boy R3D, like when he had the, the home studio, to me, this was like the beginning of all this social media shit, you know? And he was tapped in early. And of course he don't got the first home studio, but like MySpace was around. And you know, you can make a, My, a music MySpace page. And I thought that was just the flyest shit in the world that I could like make records and put them on MySpace for like other people to hear them. Like it didn't have to go through a label like just to get people to listen to it. Cause really, I, I wasn't thinking about the world at all. Like being a famous rapper, I wouldn't think about that shit at all. Like I didn't come into this like, I'm about to go be a famous rapper. Like I low key was just like, I thought I was kind of nice, you know? And I I was jumping on like other people's shit and throwing it on my space. <clears throat> and niggas was like, yo, that shit kind of hard. That Paris Tokyo freestyle you did over Lupe shit, that shit was kind of hard, you know? I, I actually don't, I never uploaded those, some of those MySpace records, they never got uploaded to YouTube. I wasn't using YouTube and like that really until later, you know, a couple years later, because I wasn't doing no music videos. You know what I'm saying? I actually hadn't even, YouTube had been out for a couple of years. I had never even been on it. You know what I mean? So after I started making them songs with him on the independent tip and I was just putting them out on MySpace, that was kind of like the like the jump start to like my social media presence and then like making music like on an independent level, you know? eventually get your own apartment and you're throwing parties out of it. And that's how you're making your money. And eventually you come across to your first DJ, you hand him the record. He plays your record to see how it goes. And that, then when you saw the reaction from the crowd, then you knew that it was go time. So what happened is, so, so me and my mom's was butting him. My mom's kicked me out. I don't want to throw her under the bus, but she kicked me out. Right. And I went to go stay with my man's Moski. Moski is my my hype man. You know, he's been on stage with me all, uh, all across the world. But when my moms kicked me out, I went to go stay with Moski. Now I stayed with Moski. Um, while I was staying with Moski, I was trying to get emancipated. You know what emancipated is, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, so I was trying to get emancipated and um, so I could get my own apartment. Now I was by, I was turning 18. This was like a couple months before I turned 18. You gotta be 18 to get an apartment out here, probably in a bunch of places, but in Vegas, you had to be, you gotta be 18. So I was a couple months away, but I couldn't stay with Moski that whole time. So I was trying to get emancipated so I could do my own thing. But you know, his moms let me stay with, with them and like the emancipation shit fell through the cracks cause I did some shit wrong. And they wanted me to start all the way over. And I was just like, I just didn't have the energy to go through the shit again. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't really know what my next move was going to be. But, you know, 
I don't know if that lady still worked there and I don't want to get her in trouble. But <laughs> she let me move in a month early. You know what I'm saying? She let me move in that spot a month before I turned 18. And, um, <clears throat> and yeah, so, and then I met this dude that worked at this teen club. It was called Club Frozen. Now this teen club had been out. It was, it, it had its own thing going already, you know, but he allowed me to have two weekends out of the month, you know, and I threw parties at the club, at the teen club. And that's how I was making, you know, that extra money a month. <clears throat> I stayed in a little fucking studio, bro. It was 500 for utilities included. It was $500 a month. You know what I'm saying? And that's, and I would rack up about, you know, almost $1,500 doing these parties every month. So that's how I was living, you know? My whole thing was like, I got to graduate. I still got to go to school. So I went and found the closest apartment I could to my high school so I could still get up and go to high school. And <clears throat> mind you, bro, like in order for me to graduate, I just want to get, I'm going to give you a rundown that I don't really get people because I see you, you looked up this shit. But, you know, in order for me to graduate high school, bro, I had to, I had to go to an early class I had to do my, my six classes at school. Then I had to do an after school class. And then I had to go do four classes at night school all year if I wanted to graduate. <clears throat> and I was living on my own, waking up, walking to school every day, catching a bus every day, doing that shit myself. Nobody telling me to do that shit. Now, getting through high school was probably the toughest shit that I had to do, dog. Like, because <laughs> mind you, I, I was in a, I'm not, I wasn't the, like the dumbest kid, but I wasn't the smartest kid. A lot of the classes that I had to make up was because my mom moved around a lot and I lost credits moving around all those times. So it's like, in order to graduate, you know, I had to do a lot. And I told them like, I wasn't going to summer school. If, if I can't graduate this year with my graduation class, I'm not coming back. I'm gonna go get my GED. I'm not going to even come back to the school. I'm telling y'all right now. So they had to figure out a plan for me to graduate. And like, you know, after I, like, while I was living on my own, I was able to get on 106 and park. And I was able to do some independent stuff. And I was able to get my, like, I started realizing that the jerk movement was growing, but it wasn't big yet. And I wanted to be an artist that was making jerk songs out here in Vegas to get the party going. You know what I'm saying? I was throwing these parties, all these niggas was jerking in this motherfucker. I might as well make some songs for them. And yeah, I made a record. And the first time that he played it in the club for me, cause I had threw a couple parties and, you know, I knew that I could bring them out, but you know, we just all, we always played different type of shit. I just wondered if how it would fit with the other records that were like popular records. Mm -hmm. And he played this record, man, and I seen how the crowd reacted to the record and yeah, it, it like changed, it like changed my view on things. I was like rapping over like hip hop beats, you know? And this was like the first time that I had made like a club record. And yeah, I realized that I could be more versatile. I could be the artist that's like, that could do a little bit of everything can make the it was written tracks and then you can go and make the club record yeah yeah i realized like man okay i got i got two different type of 
styles that I could tackle. And then from there, that just opened up my mind. Like, how many more styles can I tackle? You know what I'm saying? And like, and then, yeah, you just constantly grow from there. It was a miracle when you heard the news that you were accepted and invited to do an audition for 106 in Park. And it took a while because you had to go up to do the audition and the CD wasn't working at first. And then all of a sudden it miraculously started working. And then from there, you had to wait a little while. And then you got the call to 106 in Park to go do a show. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. You know that too. Um, <clears throat> yeah, man. Um, getting that call back was everything. You know what I'm saying? But like, it also was <clears throat> the 106 in Park situation was the first time where we like, okay, it's gonna take a lot more than just one opportunity. Cause I thought like, oh, 106 in Park. Oh man, we gonna have so many fans after this like the whole everybody watched 106 in part you know what I'm saying in my mind I'm like whoa I'm in high school you know what I'm saying I'm like I'm just I'm in the 12th grade like telling everybody like yo I'm about to be on 106 in part niggas like what hell no I'm like yep we scraping up the money to get out there you know what I'm saying and uh so getting that call back was like, it was fire. But, you know, you get that call back and it's like, all right, yeah, we want you to come perform. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so just this is the time you got to be here and, and come ready. We like, oh, okay. So y'all not paying for, for no flights? I'm <laughs> <laughs> not paying for no flights. Y'all not doing damn no hotels. Damn, I'm like, oh shit, okay. Then that reality kick in, like, damn, we gotta get some money to go out here and get this opportunity, you know? And then you go out there and it only, it's just a little piece that's starting to be add to what's going on. But if like, in your mind, you think you about to be on, sometimes people think they about to be on after they do certain shit. Like, man, I'm gonna do this, I'm beyond. No, it's just adding to your story, adding to your journey. You know what I'm saying? And that was the first time where, where, where I started to realize, like, all right, I got to do a lot more shit. Like, a the lot more cool shit. Yeah, like, it's, it don't just, you know? I started realizing, like, I got to make sure I'm creating opportunities out of every opportunity I get, you know, to keep it going. So, yeah, it was a big moment. It was a reality moment. You know, I learned a lot from it. The reason why you're so special to hip hop and important is because you're one of the last generations that actually took rapping seriously. And we know what kind of rap that you do and, and the rap that you grew up on and who you looked up to. And that's why the legends and the OG stamp you in this game. The 106 and Park era, we don't have that anymore. Everything is completely Instagram, world star, the numbers on social media and the numbers can be fabricated. So we don't know who really are superstars anymore. And I, I don't like... And no judgment for any artists that are out there at all. I don't like how easy it is for artists to make it nowadays. I feel as though not everyone can be a basketball player. Just the same way, I don't feel as though everyone can be a rapper so easily. I agree. Anyway. I agree. Um, but you know, I also see where the world is going, what is developing, what it's 
evolving into, you know? And you can't stop evolvement and like change and like, cause it's gonna constantly happen. And I think sometimes we can just get stuck in our, in our ways because they were good ways, you know? And um, that's cool. It's cool to feel that way. You know what I'm saying? Still not gonna stop the change and, and, and how it's evolving. And like, you know, sometimes you could jump on board and get on some of the waves. And then sometimes you could let the waves be the waves because the waves that are taught that we grow up on, they don't go anywhere. You know, um, the true, the true superstars are always the people, whoever the people gravitate to the most, you know, like the people, some people think Lil Wayne's the GOAT, you know, and some people think Tech Nine's the GOAT, you know, so it just depends. It just depends. I know that like, I'd rather everybody have a fair chance, a fair shot, fuck it you know and whoever stands out stands the fuck out you know like we just can all see it now but it's always been that way you know it's always been a million fucking rappers you know like you just didn't see them all now there's platforms to see them all you know what i'm saying so it's just evolving and i realize that and i and I, i'm frustrated at times too i'm like damn another app i'm like i'm not doing this app <laughs> I'm TikTok, like, nah, nigga, TikTok. There's, there's too many apps, nigga. I'm like, and then you you realize like some of them got to be utilized, and then some of them, you know, whatever. But I realize that it's evolving, and uh, I try to just understand that as much as I can. And it's important that you do. You know, we have to evolve with the times. I get that 100. I can get stuck in my own ways. Um, I used to be more strict on artists coming out back in the day because I'm such a real hip hop head and you know, you can't stop evolvement from happening, but you kept, you kept hustling, you kept making moves for yourself. And eventually there's this Texas artist that's opening up for YG at Chic Shoes in Las Vegas outside the mall. And then you go and you find out that it's a contest and you sign up for that contest. And it's, it's an order for a single deal at Def Jam. So eventually you win that contest, you have to go through battles and then the judges pick you. And after you win that battle over the beats, they, they pick for you. You have to be chosen with your original music up against the winners. And you won that whole thing for the single deal. So the Def Jam deal comes apart. You, you guys are actually sitting with Def Jam and they had prepared music for you. And that's when you said, it's not my vision. And you went the other way. Yes, sir. You did the right thing too. That's how it went down. You know, and they, I never, I, I never forget it too, because they, they specifically said to me that they were trying to, they were looking for like, you know, the next Kid Cudi, like use Kid Cudi's name, you know? And I was like, you know, I like Kid Cudi music you know, at the time, I thought he was cool. You know what I'm saying? But that wasn't. That's not the Dizzy right. That's not the Dizzy right vision. Nah, nah, it's not at all. If, if you know, I had a project that I was sitting on called Soul Searching Next Level, you know, and any of my fans that's been around for a long time, you know, they know that project. They know that project was like full of like 
passion and like, you know, what how I was feeling in the moment, what I was going through, what I was thinking, where my mind was at that time. You can literally go and listen to where my mind was at the time. And I wanted to play that shit for them so bad. And they was playing me all this shit. They was, they was trying to, they was trying to put me on some music, man, that wasn't my style. And I was like, yeah, I went the other way. I'm glad I went the other way. I didn't know, actually I didn't go anywhere. I just, I for a second, I was just kind of stuck in place because I started questioning if, if the music industry was even, you know what I mean? I was like, is the music industry gonna be for me? Do I gotta go? Is that the only way, you know? And then, uh, yeah, my boys came across Hobson. He was like, whoa, this is another way. You know, this is a different way. I'm like, this is completely, I'm like, this is different from what I'm kind of doing too. I'm like, these niggas is wearing white contacts and black contacts and they all crazy in the video. <laughs> I'm like, yo, this shit. I like what these niggas is tight though, man. I'm like, this shit tight though. I'm like, but damn, what these niggas like in real life? I'm like, do they wear that shit all the time? I was like, I was like thrown off by them niggas. I ain't even gonna hold you. I was kind of thrown off by them niggas at first. But, you know, my partners was like, you know, uh, they had met Dame and they thought he was cool. He had a cool little vibe, you know what I'm saying? And thought we should just pursue the conversation. And, you know, after we talked to Dame and everything, he was super cool. He wanted me to come out to California and I went out there and I got to meet the fellas. You know what I'm saying? And Swizz is Dame's little brother, you know? So they was living together at the time. And I'm just, I'm just like, man, they was just super normal and super cool. And I realized that they threw the contacts in and became like, you know, these wild MCs, you know? But Dame really had a vision of like adding different styles to funk volume and funk volume not being so one way. Cause it was a lot of just Juggalo fans, you know, back then. It was a lot of Juggalo fans. Even like, you know, it was, the crowds were, completely different than like how my crowds look now or even how hops crowds look it's just diverse a lot you know but at first it was very like just one way you know and dame wanted to switch that up and that's where i kind of came in you know what i'm saying and uh to me i thought being different and but trying to keep up with these boys was even gonna help me be a better artist, you know, which it did. But I thought that that was like a fly mix, you know, if, if we kept adding different styles. So um, yeah, I'm very proud of like signing with them and like taking that journey and going the independent route. Like that was a way better way for me. Before that whole distribution deal fell through with the label, I believe that you were gonna try to get Demrick signed to them too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was pushing hard for Demrick. Like, man, I was pushing hard for Demrick, you know? Uh, but, uh, you know, Dane wanted to sign Russ. Like he had brought, Russ had came out to one of my shows and opened up at one of my shows in Denver. 
Um, Russ was super cool and he wanted to sign some other cats too, but I was really pushing for Demrick. Um, and then Russ eventually like have found a, his own lane, you know what I mean? But yeah, I was pushing hard for that nigga. He know it, everybody know it. <laughs> I had conversations <laughs> with everybody about that nigga. You know, that. you know what it was is that like, you know, Hobson was a different type of artist, you know what I'm saying? And I felt like Demrick was, he could bond with Hop and not a lot of people could bond with Hop on the music tip. And I thought that that was super fly and we needed that because I was trying to get us to do more together. I felt like we were, we were doing a lot, but I felt like what was separated the TDEs and some of these and the pro, <clears throat> the pro era and all them cats is like, we just wasn't working together enough. You know, we would like send each other records and shit, but I felt like we needed to be in the studio and all our minds needed to be moving at the same time and come up with some dope shit. And I thought Demick would, would help do that. So that's why I really was pushing for Demick at the time. Something that was a, a great experience for you was going on tour with Logic back in the day because you're an observer and you observed what he did. He gave you some great knowledge and how to prepare your tracks at home and bring them to the studio. How did you initially meet Logic? Uh, I met Logic uh, um, I think I reached out to Logic uh, right before we had got on the the double XL cover. Uh, I don't think it was out yet. I had just reached out to him because I thought he was dope and started following him and told him I wanted to work with him one day. And then we both got the cover. And then we did the the freestyle together. And oh, we Jedi. were just kicking it. Yeah, we were just kicking it. And <clears throat> we just built that relationship. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, we just built that relationship and it was cool. When I was on tour with Logic, though, it... I learned a lot, you know, because for uh, a few different reasons, you know, but the main thing that I took off that tour was recording myself. I thought it was important <clears throat> that I started learning how to record myself and like putting my thoughts down when I, when I feel them and I'm in my gym and not always having to wait to go book a studio session and like, you know, just even when I was in the studio, I pretty much was telling them exactly what I wanted to do. So it was really about just learning how to do it myself, you know, and it was the best thing I could have ever done. You guys have made some dope tracks over the years. He's out of retirement now. I know there was rumors back in the day that, that the tape between you two was going to happen. Life happened. That's why the tape really didn't come out. <laughs> Is it still possible? Because I know you would love to work with Logic again, but is it, is this, is it going to be possible in the near future that now that Logic's out of re, out of retirement that you guys may make this tape come to fruition? I don't know, mate. Like, I feel like Logic uh, went through some things, you know? Like, when I seen him retiring from the game and all that, you know, to me, I just feel like all the politics and things that come with it you know, sometimes it just stress you the fuck out and you don't want no parts of it. And like, you a true MC at heart, but like you start losing love for it 
and you start being judged, <clears throat> you know, for all your, when you're being judged for all your moves, because the spotlight shining so bright on you, you know, it's a lot, you know. When I was on tour with Logic, um, he wasn't smoking weed at the time. And if I'm being honest with you, you know, I was kind of like, damn, you know, I never wanted to like, be like, yo nigga, hit the blunt, like, you know, but I did kind of want to be like, yo nigga, hit the blunt. Cause I felt like there was just times where I seen him kind of like, where he just seemed so stressed out where I, I didn't feel like he was fully enjoying the, the moment, you know? And this was before it even got bigger. You know, this was, it was already big. The whole tour was sold out, but then he got to arenas, you know, he took it up a step higher. And I felt like when he was the step right before that, um, I just felt like he needed to calm his nerves and like sit back and enjoy the moment and like not be so stressed out about everything that was so stressful, you know? And I know that's weird to say sometimes, but it's like, you know, um, everybody has their thing or their ways or whatever, but I never wanted to like, be like, yo, like force weed on logic. You know what I'm saying? Like, I felt like, yo, this, you know what I mean? But I felt like he had a team around him and he would figure it out, you know? So I think maybe the weed helped him and that's how he was able to come out of retirement, able to calm the nerves, help him lay things out on the table. And maybe not, maybe it's just family and just taking a step away and just being able to detox for a second. <clears throat> Sometimes that's just all it, all you need. So either way, you know, I just I'm just happy that, you know, he's doing his thing and he's happy. And uh I don't know if we'll ever be able to do a project, you know what I'm saying? But if he ever wanted to, you know, I lace everything up that he wanted to do. Straight up. We got to speak this into existence here. Shout out to the homie Dizzy, right? He's always showed you love on All Right. That was one of his big hits there. And I think what really got to him too were the critics. And you've heard it everywhere just about him rapping about being biracial. Because when I was listening to Logic, that's all I would hear. People like, are you listening to Logic? All he talks about is being biracial. But there's so much more to his music than that. Yeah. I think he had a point he was trying to get across. And then it was just maybe a lot for people. Um, and you know, that's, it's all right though. Fuck it. Move to the next thing, you know, and like, keep it going, you know? That's right. And around that time with the, the whole logic thing and you know, the life hits with the, the distribution deal falling apart and you had to actually find your own management. You had to get new management and just restructure everything that you had going in within your own team. Yeah. After after Funk Volume, man, I tried to just um, figure it out. You know, I was really just trying to figure it out. Like I wanted to just keep things going. <clears throat> still moving. Yeah, still moving. Like to be honest, like I thought I had a great year, 2015. <clears throat> you know, I was upset that like my, you know, when CDs were still popular. Like two thousand more put in the stores when they told you they were going to be. Yeah, and I, you know, and then CDs went out of style, so I never got that. Yeah, you know <laughs> like I, I could have been right on the last little like, 
you know, I mean, my shit went in the Zia Records. Shout out to Zia Records for picking my shit up. But like, uh, I wanted the Walmart and the Best Buy and the Target, and like, I wanted, I wanted to, you Have know, physical copy. Yeah, it were so. That was the only big thing that was like upsetting for me in 2015. But other than that, I thought I had a great year and I thought I was working really hard. 2016, I wanted to go even harder. And I feel like I got knocked back so many steps by losing my team on the back end, you know? And, you know, I was pretty much put in a position to like, had to figure the shit out. So, but then in the process of that, like I'm making decisions, but I haven't, went through my emotional roller coaster fully. You know what I'm saying? I'm like making sporadic decisions because I know that they need to be made, but I'm not being smart enough to just take some time off, you know? I didn't want to ever take my foot off the gas because I felt like, you know, the world's not slowing down for nobody's problems. You know what I'm saying? So I just wanted to continue what I was doing you know, and then just put that emotion into the music and and give them projects and shit. And based off of like the knowledge that I was receiving and the knowledge that I was like obtaining at the time. So, yeah. You've spoken about the dark times that you've gone through before. Was there any artists that you reached out to or felt comfortable reaching out to and, and seeing if they went through the same situation or offered you some guidance during that time or even seeking out some form of therapy for someone to talk to you through that difficult time of your life? Um, like Dimrick was, Dimrick was, uh, Dimrick was in my corner. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, Dimrick's older than me. And um, he's had different experience, different experiences in different situations that he's been in, you know, but he's just been around a lot of knowledge in this game, you know? So he was really somebody that I was able to like lean on and talk to and like share my emotions with and some of the things that I was going through. And like, you know, you know he helped a nigga push through in a lot of ways, you know, but, you know, as far as like, you know, reaching out to see if kind of like anybody went through the same situation, to be honest, I wasn't looking at it like I was going through a situation. And I don't think that was the mentality to have maybe per se, but I was just looking at it. Like I, I wasn't looking at it like, from the knockback that it was, you know? I didn't really even feel that until probably like a year later, you know, where I was like, damn, that funk volume shit really knocked me back. Like, I'm like, God damn. I'm like, this year was, this was a tough year. You know what I'm saying? Like we did great shit, but like it was a tough year per se. Like, because, you know, I had jumped on tour with Logic but Logic, you know what I'm saying, announced the tour without me first. They wanted to give it like two weeks or a week before they announced me, I think it was. And I was like, all right, cool. And I was just, and but the shows were selling out. And I was like, oh shit, nigga, my fans not even gonna be up in there. And like, I thought this was a great opportunity for my fans to come 
and rally for me at the Logic Show, you know what I'm saying, and we represent. And on the other hand, all Logic brand new diehard fans fucking bought up all the tickets. Now, mind you, a sold out show is a sold out show. You know what I'm saying? I'm excited about it, but I mean, I know like, I don't know who gonna know me up in there, you know? Cause if my fans had seen, if the tickets went on sale and my name was on it and my fans had seen that I was going on tour with Logic, oh man, you know, we would have had it jumping. But I felt like, you know, a lot of, we didn't get to use the lights that Logic brought. You know what I'm saying? So we just kind of had like plain house lights and um, it's tough. Some of the some of the some of the shows they just had the light kind of shining on the crowd. And to me, in my mind, it was kind of like walking into a party and turning on the light and being like, "Yo, don't change anything. Keep dancing." And everybody's like, "What the fuck? Turn the lights back off. Put the little the strobe lights back on. What the fuck is you doing?" Right? Like it's about the vibe too. And. <clears throat> To me, we was like, we wasn't bringing the vibe. I didn't realize that like, we wasn't gonna be able to use the lights and that it was gonna be so much of a, a, a switch from the opening act to the headliner. We was, we was the only opening act, you know what I'm saying? There was no opening acts before us. So we started the show, but I don't feel like we, we were able to bring a vibe in. Like I was doing my thing, but it's like, like I said, it's like the music isn't going to change if you walk in the party and turn on the light, right? No. It's not going to change at all. The music don't change. They still like the music, but the vibe changes, you know? So I feel like it was tough in that sense where I felt like, damn, you know, I wish we could get uh, like, just a mood light or something, a red light or something and not so bright in there when we're on stage because I felt like everybody could see, you know, a sold out show of 5,000 people, if you could look around and see faces across the room, it's gonna be kind of awkward, you, you know what I mean? So the Logic Tour was, I appreciated it, don't get me wrong, like, you know, but it was also tough too, like as a musician and like, coming off my 2015 year, that's not really what I expected from for, for myself. Like, no. and I felt like that's what I negotiated because that was the first thing that I did after the funk volume breakup. Cause now I'm like, it's on me. All right, cool. Hey Logic, I know you about to go on tour. What's up? Can I get on? And he like, I don't got no openers I can ask my manager. I'm like, yo, tell him that I'm down to come out there and rock the crowd before you and, and get them hyped for you, man. And like, you know what I'm saying? That was like the first play that I made on my own. No team, no nothing. Before that, you know, a, my team probably would have worked out some shit for me. You know what I'm saying? Made sure, talked about the lights. I ain't talk about none of this shit. I wouldn't think about none of that shit. And I went out there and it showed, you know? So although I got the opportunity to go do a sold out tour, I still, it was still a, a big learning lesson for me, you know, on, on what I need to talk about when I'm going on tour. And like, 
it was like relearning everything that I had just learned in a different way um, over the last few years, you know? So, yeah. Another big moment in your career was Floyd Money Mayweather when Floyd Mayweather walked out to your song. Yeah, that was a cool moment. That was a super cool moment. I was on tour. You know, I had made the song the year before when he was going to fight Pacquiao. That's right. You made it in 2014. I did. And he didn't walk out to it. And I was like, damn. You know, I had seen a video of him working out to it, though. So he kind of stamped it in that way. But I was like, I wonder if he don't walk out to it. We're attacking him. And he didn't walk out to it. I was like, damn. I, I think he walked out with somebody if I'm I think that year he walked out with somebody um but uh yeah the next year you know I just I, I watch all the Floyd fights you know we wasn't missing no Floyd fights no nowhere you know so you know the opening acts was on stage and I was downstairs I was downstairs in the basement we were streaming it on the laptop and yeah, he came out to that shit. And I, it was like a, it was like a pause for a moment. Cause we was like, cause it was playing in a stadium. It's like, oh, that's your shit. That's your shit. <laughs> yeah, that was a cool moment. And then after that, I got to go out on stage and tell the fans that that nigga just walked out to my, my song. They was all hype about that shit. It just made the night great. Like the show was great. When I did the song, they was turned up. It was a good time. Great time. Legendary classic moment. And, you know, Vegas is booming right now. The Raiders are in Vegas. Now you got the Golden Knights. And you are the artist to really put on for Vegas. And you don't get the credit that's due. And you've spoken about it before. And and that it bothers you. And I think rightfully so, because when you're an innovator and a pioneer somewhere and you don't get that recognition, that hurts because you did a lot for the, for Las Vegas, as far as the hip hop scene. Yeah. Yeah. As I, you know, as I continue to evolve and grow, you know, you know, I just realized that, you know, you just got to keep going, just keep working, keep doing you, you know, not really, Receiving credit and getting credit, validation, that shit don't really matter mm-hmm. at the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? You just gotta, you gotta put in your due diligence and put in your good work and just, it'll live how it's supposed to live, you know? Mm-hmm. You just want the work to live. I just want the work to live. <coughs> Someone that you have a great relationship with is Chris Webbing. He comes from Connecticut and he's the one that really put hip hop on the map for Connecticut. Have you had any conversations with him coming from a, a small place, being in a, a similar instance where you're putting somewhere on the map and kind of not getting any recognition for it? Say that last part again. Kind of like, have you ever had any conversations with Chris Webby in, in having kind of a similar instance in which you're not getting the re- recognition from Las Vegas and he's not getting the recognition in Connecticut? No, you know, <clears throat> My conversations with Webby are always positive because Webby um, has a incredible formula, you know? I don't know what his, I don't know 
how they view him in Connecticut, you know, but he's he's leaving his stamp on the world. And like, you gotta be able to work this social media shit. And I think that Webby has um, a great work ethic and a great formula to how he does things. So when I talk to Webby, it's not, it's, it's, it's never about anything like that. You know what I mean? It's always more about how to develop and how to evolve, you know, and some tactics to use and um, shit like that. You know what I'm saying? And creating your own wave within this wave. Um, it's always positive. So he is somebody that uh, when it comes to like, you know, the way shit is now as an in, uh, independent MC, you know, he is always a great person to have a conversation with. I could tell that, especially the chemistry that you guys have in your songs. And speaking of chemistry, someone that you work very well with and sick of complaining is Beans. Oh, yeah. He's a dope Beans. MC. Yeah, I love Beans, the MC at heart, you know? And um, she works hard. She loves to be in the studio. She loves to work, create. And, um, yeah, I'm glad to just be blessed in her presence to you know when we when we together and uh we always probably gonna knock out some records and get people to gems you know because that's just who she is at at heart and the same with me still moving that's what you're doing you opened up your own store brick and mortar still moving you got your own clothing line how's that going the moving's closing on is doing great, man. I closed down the storefront in the pandemic um, a couple months ago. Um, I, we're gonna relocate, but you know, like for me, it was. I'm such a person that be thinking about other people. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know selling clothes or pushing clothes during the pandemic was tough for me. I didn't want to really do it. I didn't want to market anything. I didn't think that like, you know what I mean? That that was the, the narrative to push or be a part of, you know? And um, not being able to have people in our building for months, you know, took away a lot of value of what we were trying to do. You know what I'm saying? Where we were thriving. And to me, I'm like, let's just let the world get back to where it is and then just do a new spot in a better location now that we got the knowledge and we know. And a lot of it was like in the middle of a pandemic, they wanted us to sign a, a, a three-year lease. And I, we just didn't know where the fuck the world was going or where it was going to be, how long it was going to be shut down, you know? So to me, it was better to just take that experience that we had at that location and use all that knowledge to put it into a new location because the, the, the still moving clothing line isn't gonna go anywhere. You know, I just didn't wanna be pushing people to try to come down to our storefront in a fucking pandemic. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of uh, what we did at that storefront, but we are about to do it bigger and better. And um, we got a lot, we went into it you know, early stages. And um, we learned a lot in that three years. And now we're going to take that and do it on another level and, and do it even better, get the city involved even more. You know what I mean? I think what people 
like you, Dave East, and Nipsey Hussle are, are doing are, is important because Nipsey really set the blueprint with the marathon, but Dave East opened up his own store in Harlem. I think it's really setting an inspiration out here for the youth. I, I hope so. I hope so, man. Um, but you know, I'm 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 just learning and walking my path, you know, and just trying to expand my mind as much as I can. And, you know, I don't got like no entrepreneurs in my family and shit that I like really know of or nobody super wealthy in my family. Like, you know, so a lot of this shit I'm, I'm learning for the first time and I'm experiencing for the first time. And like, but this is where my, this is what my heart be telling me to do. So, you know what I'm saying? I'm just gonna keep trying to do the best I can to like create opportunities, you know what I'm saying? And um, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Sliding and Gliding released at the end of last year, 2021. Now you have the new track out, 24 Hours with Exhibit, a hip hop legend. And you recorded the growing process in his studio. I believe the recording studio in 2015. I did. I, I recorded a lot of that album in his in his studio in California. Yeah, yeah, Amazing. that was super. That was super cool. He came through. It was cool that you know X was able to hear those tracks and be like, you know, I fuck with this. You know, it made me feel confident in the work that I was putting in. Uh, you know, I didn't. I just never thought I had anything hard enough for him back then. <laughs> you probably would like, want him to jump on the tracks back then but all, all of a sudden now is when you realize that you had to come correct and he got on this track with you yeah yeah i just always did the music that i wanted to do you know and like most of that music is just the music from the beats that I could get my hands on and whatever makes me feel the best, that's like what I gravitate towards, you know? So as I give credit to the homies around me that are producers that are leveling up their skills too, you know, to give me harder shit, you know, that they feel like I could slide on and, and like getting the opportunity to work with new fucking producers because I got some new shit coming right after Hoppers, you know, and and expanding the sound, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Shout out to Hopper. He's a great collaborator of yours. And you have new music coming out Friday, too, that you announced on Twitter. I, I do. Yeah, I got I got a new song coming out with Man Like Devin and Be Real from Cypress Hill. Yeah. Another legend. Another OG, yes, sir. Black Sunday or Temples of Boom? What was your go-to St. Priscilla album? You said what? Out of which two? Yeah, Black Sunday or Temples of Boom? Ooh. Uh, Black Sunday. Black Sunday. Insane in the brain, hits from the bong when the shit goes yeah. down. All the weed shit, the classic weed shit. Classic. That, that's amazing, just all the legends that you've worked with. Who, who, in the beginning of your stages, when was it that a legend, or what legend would you say was the one that gave you that stamp when you knew that 
man, I just got stamped by a legend in this game. I know I'm solidified now. Yeah. White Claire. Mm. Yeah. White Golden Claire. Age. Yeah, when White Clef, because I, I I went over and I made that song with White Clef, you know, in the studio together. You know what I'm saying? And uh, he pulled out his guitar and his brother hopped on the keys and, you know, they started doing, we turned out all right. Like, <laughs> like off the dribble like that's like what came to his mind 2020 and, was uh, a year of reflection for you i know you were reflecting you took the year off during the pandemic and you have bigger dreams and aspirations you potentially want to get into acting in on some tv shows i do i do man i do i know that i gotta put the work in i know i gotta put the work in so i'm taking the steps to put the work in um because i know that no, nothing comes without putting the, the right work in. But um, yeah, I just wanted to be pointed in the right direction. So I got to be more, I got to use my throat chakra a little more and be more vocal about it. So the right people can point me in the right direction. Cause yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get my acting on. Taking some acting classes or even getting an acting coach. Have you thought about hiring one? Yeah, I, I did. I did. Um, so I got an agent that's helping me find an acting coach. You know what I'm saying? And uh yeah, I had to take some head shots, some acting head shots and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So I'm getting a journey cooking. Um but yeah, just something else to apply myself to. I I'm I wanna be the type of person that can apply itself to many things, you know? Like I don't wanna just be great at one thing. I wanna put be in great a box. You don't wanna be put in a box. Not at all. You've exceeded expectations. You're way ahead of the game. You've had countless amounts of classic hits that we'll never forget. Just the life that you've had, your own business still moving in. You hear about the things back in the day that you did and saving your brother in which you got eight stitches and you saved his life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nah, you keep going. Keep going. I, I'm just, I love that you know this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From going all the way out to having Floyd and Mayweather playing his song and walking out and just all the achievements that you've had throughout your career. I'm sure that you will master acting in your own way. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that, man. Cause I'm going to put the work in for sure. Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to the new music. Dizzy, Wright. Is there anything else you would love to let the fans know the audience know that we haven't covered here tonight? Yo, we covered the whole back end. I love it. But um, yes, I have Dizzyland on the way. Me and Hopper are going to drop uh, music every two weeks until the project comes out. Uh, and then I'm going to do the same thing with another producer and then probably with another producer. You know what I mean? And um, I'm using this formula just so like the fans, I, I can make sure that the fans are hearing the music that's being put out, you know, because um, like I put out a project called uh, Nobody Cares Work Harder, you know, and um, which I think is an, an amazing project, you know, and I had 
um, like currency and burner on there. And I had tech nine on there and like some newer songs. And I had like, um, you know, Big Crit was on there, I think, like just a few different people, but like updated songs, you know, that I feel like a lot of people heard, but I feel like some of the fans miss because of the algorithm and things like that, you know? Um, so I want to make sure that the fans are hearing the records, especially with these other artists, you know, that are dope records so they can, so they can really be a part of like what's happening, you know, and not feel like they have to just listen to a whole album to get to these records, you know, or things like that. So, you know, we rolling it out and, um, we having fun with it. So hopefully everybody uh, enjoys the music that comes out this year and the visuals that we drop. And um, I'm going on tour, the Smoke Out Conversations tour, 10 year anniversary tour. Congratulations on that to 420. Thank you, brother. Thank you, 420. Which that is, is my, my birthday. <clears throat> Whoa, amazing birthday, brother. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, Spark one of that. How about that? <laughs> oh, man, birthday. It's a birthday month. Absolutely. Yeah, but 10 year anniversary tour coming to a city near you. It's like 35 dates. There will be a second leg. I haven't even announced that anywhere, but there will be a second leg that we're working on with um the the South and the, the East Coast. Midwest, more that way. <clears throat> but the first leg is really um, more the West Coast, you know, and uh, we're going to get smoky. We're going to have fun, put on great show. Um, I'm bringing my, my own lights, you know, I'm bringing my own video wall. I'm doing it for my fans. We're going to put on a show for them, you know, and I'm excited to do it this way. Um, I'm excited to just show them what I'm, I'm capable of bringing to the table when I'm, when I'm headlining, you know, and when, when I'm controlling the lights and I have my chance to do things, I could bring my vibe. So hopefully they come out and they fuck with that. And, um, we can celebrate 10 years of hard work. Absolutely. And you deserve it. And if you come out to New York or even Connecticut, I'll be at the show for sure. I got to get a dizzy Wright show in, in my lifetime. Absolutely, brother. We'll be there. We will be there. Toad's Place. Uh, that's the spot in Connecticut. Toad's Place. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We gonna be there. I'll be there, man. I, I, and anything else? Is that it? That's pretty much everything you have to announce? Last yeah, that's, yeah, that's it, man. Um, new music, tour dates, dizzyright.com. See y'all there. And make sure they follow you on Instagram at Dizzy Hippie and Twitter at Dizzy Right. Yes. Instagram at Dizzy Hippie, Hippie with a Y, Twitter, Dizzy Right, Facebook, Dizzy Right. You know what I mean? And uh, Apple Music, Spotify, Dizzy Right. <laughs> Go listen to that music, baby. Yep. Shout out to Kalen for setting this up and making sure everything went through good, especially on the Zoom. And thank you for coming on the show here, man. I appreciate everything that you've done for hip hop. Keeping it real, not selling out because a lot of people sell their soul in this industry. And, and keeping it real and authentic when it comes to hip hop and your pen and being poetic out here because we need more MCs like you to keep going for the youth and the youth draw the inspiration from you to carry on what you created because we need more poets and prophets out here. I love it, man. Thank you for being solid. This was an amazing 
conversation and uh <clears throat> hopefully we can kick it when I come out there, come out to the show, we hang out in real life. But I appreciate you. Thank you for being solid. Continue the good work. Keep going after it. Keep doing your thing. I appreciate it, man. Dizzy Wright, I want you to enjoy the rest of your night. Take care and stay safe. I'm looking forward to everything that you achieve in the near future, man. Sky's the limit. Absolutely, brother. And I love that hat. <laughs> Thank you, man. <laughs> Raiders. I'm actually a Jet fan, but wherever my guest is from, I put on whatever gear they're from to make them feel at home. Respect to you for that, man. It's a great way to be, man. I love it. I'm looking forward to meeting you soon, man. And um, you got my full support. Absolutely, man. We'll, we'll keep in touch, man. I got your music in the rotation and everything. Thank you for all that you do. All the time. Thank you, brother. Peace yeah. and love. Peace out, man. Peace and love.